0: Okay, so today's talk is on esoteric numerology. And we have the secret doctrine, which is called the numerological and astrological keys. So in this particular book, I have, in chapter two, started to explain the numerological system. There are a number of things to do with our philosophy that's quite important for everyone to understand over time. One of them is the rays. You really can't get by understanding them and understanding them very well, and you'll continue studying them. Esoteric psychology is a good, good book, volumes one and two, and it's two volumes for a reason. So I suggest you continue sort of studying them and knowing those rays well. Most of the new students that come to you will have to learn them. Most of us, when we see new students, we're looking at their rays. We're more looking at their soul ray. We're almost not at all concerned with their personality rays. But we should be, and they should be. More of the younger students, especially those working for their third initiation, if they actually are serious students, we get some like that. That's very rare. They would be much more interested in discovering their personality ray, their mental ray, their emotional ray, and their physical body rays, so that they can work with transmuting of samskaras, working out the aspects of their psychology, and then, of course, in time, fitting it in with the soul ray, in the sub ray. The soul ray is also the ray of the ashram to which you belong. It's not necessary. The ray of the ashram, though, because often for a number of lives, people are found in different ashrams. They're learning something from that ashram that rounds out the equipment. Sometimes also the monad itself, which has got its own ray, is working to move a soul from one ray to another. And sometimes, therefore, it needs a different ray experiences. There's, as DK points out in his books, quite a lot of exchange within the ashrams. They are quite fluid and mutable. Therefore, it's important not to be too fixed. But nevertheless, all of you do have a fundamental soul ray which you're working with at all times as a disciple however after the third initiation especially as you're being prepared for the fourth initiation the soul ray is not as important as your monadic ray in other words which of the seven main rays you fit under that the monad is working through there's only three rays for the monad three primary rays, the first, the second, and the third, and then the seven subsidiary rays to each of those. The monad is a triad constructed like an eye, with a pupil, an iris, and the white, with three different circles of colouring. The colourations, when you actually find them and see them, are a little bit different than straightforward rays, as we understand those seven rays. There's some cosmic colorations that need to be taken into consideration. And of course the, the potency of the monad is something which most of you have not yet got the ability to see eye-to-eye with. Now, the rays, and the way the rays work is quite important for all of you to understand and discover, And essentially the first seven numbers relate to those rays to anything to do with the emanation of the number seven. Seven rays, seven days of creation, seven notes. There's an octave, it's basically seven and it sort of um, repeats itself on the eighth and so forth. You've got to remember that. The other thing that's important in your studies, is that most of you do have to, in time, learn esoteric astrology. The astrology, the rays, and numerology is the science of our esoteric studies. Esoteric astrology is quite a vast subject, and you're looking at the 12 constellations and the signs of the zodiac, And the ten planetary energies and the way they interrelate, which produces the womb of time and space. Here you get, for instance, when you add the ten and the twelve together, you get the number twenty-two. And one interpretation of the number twenty-two is always that, the zodiacal and planetary energies that produce the womb of time and space. Whenever we, I use the term womb of time and space, we're looking at the establishment of something like the Earth, through which we're all evolving. What passes through it and conditions all life are those ten planetary energies and twelve zodiacal potencies. And it conditions all of life one way or the other. But within the planetary energies, you get the seven rays. And within the seven rays, you also get the five plus two. The first ray being the will or power, that which is abstracted. The second ray being love, wisdom. And then you get the five rays of mind, where the, uh, the expressions of the five sense consciousnesses and the development of the wisdoms of the Buddhas of meditation. So you can see that esoteric astrology and numerology are very very closely linked when you're looking at the number 10 and the number 12 the zodiac and the planets then you're looking at the relationship of the heart center to the solar plexus center and together these make again the womb of time-space the womb really is everything all the chakras below the diaphragm and the heart from this particular sense finds its expression or reflection in the spleen or the splenic centre number one that then channels or directs the zodiacal potencies below the diaphragm and then the solar plexus is a ten petal lotus which deals with the planetary energies and then they work through all the minor chakras called the inner round, those two. With the number seven, for instance, one to seven, then you also get the seven chakras from the base of the spine all the way to the head lotus. And then you can look at the, the numbers in relationship down following one of the petals. For instance, if you're looking at the 12 signs of the zodiac and you get... Uh, that which relates to the fifth sign, which would, say, be um, 5 times 12, which is 60, then you know that so whenever you get 60 in, in the numbers, then you know it relates to Leo. And then you have to interpret it accordingly to the qualities of Leo, generally. But the number 60 means uh, has got other interpretations. The study, therefore, of esoteric pneumology... Is a vast, vast, vast subject. It's, it incorporates the entire esoteric sciences, and this is one of the reasons why it's so difficult for for all of you beginners to understand it or to use it. Because one of the reasons in my secret doctrine, I've got the it's called the Numerological and the Astrological Keys, and that I'm explaining the numbers in relationship to this particular text because this book deals with the rounds, the chains and the schemes. The evolution of the races, the seven root races the sub races and you can see that whenever you get the turning of a wheel which is the awakening of chakras and the unfoldment of the petals there you get numbers. Petals unfold in numerical and geometrical sequence. And um, the petals are the petals of the evolution of a solar system or of a human unit, a planet such as what we have. There's ten stages of of creation. It's not for nothing, for instance, that in the, the Kabbalah there's the 22 paths. There's 22 letter names that they deal with. It's again based on the fact that they're working with the womb of space and time. What most of you need to do, and I've done it for you here in this book, uh, The Secret Doctrine, the second chapter of this book, and then the third chapter, which I give an example of, of um, how to interpret a sacred scripture, is that you really got to have a a notebook listing all references to numbers as you come up with them, as you interpret them in your comms. Sometimes it's important to look at two phrases if the two phrases in a comm, or even in two different comms, have the same numbers. They have a similar interpretation. The way to interpret them is almost identical, except for the difference in the meaning of the phrase. The masters, when they give each of you comms and in such um, works as The Secret Doctrine and the old commentary of DK, then you can see that there is everything they think of is always numerically coded because what you read is only a fraction of the information they're actually giving you just a tiny portion. And sometimes it sounds deceptively simple, but quite incredibly complex when it's analysed. It's something that all of you really have to learn and to think more in terms of numbers whenever you're looking at anything that's esoteric, especially when you're given comp. It really is almost a waste of the hierarchy giving you comms if you're not going to do the numbers to them. And I don't have the time to do the numbers for all of you. Is this language that you interpret out of, which you train us in how to understand, is that all a sort of um, intuitively or mantrically embedded in that? And can people just experience the effects of it, do you think without No, when the, the, the Tibetans knowledge. say, when the Tibetans say, you know, it's going to cause awakening, what they really mean is 5-year lives, 6 lives 10 lives, 15 lives, 20 lives 30 lives, eventually that mantric sound will produce the sequence of events that awakens you there's no way out of it. You actually have to develop your mind. You actually have the work to develop your mind. You actually, those yogins, they didn't sit and contemplate their navels. They actually worked very hard at the development of their yoga. It was serious work to awaken high perceptions. Years and years and years and years of work of sitting in meditation. It's not a matter of just hearing the, the word Om or or the name of Rapper, or, you know, once in thinking that that's it, or the Nemutsu, it's, that's just an exoteric veil. And you've got to learn now to actually take your comms much more seriously than you do. As I said, I don't have the time. I used to, years ago, do everyone's comms and do the numbers and... But it's just a phenomenal amount of work for me. For instance, in esoteric psychology, we're looking at um, the ray statements, the sub-ray statements. I've finally finished my my chapter. It's something like 68 pages at present of those 42 ray statements. And for instance, just looking at this, the fifth ray goes with God and His angels, or like five six. God and His angels now arise and touch. Five four. God is God and His arang- angels now arise and taste. Um, five three. God and His angels now arise in sense. So when you go through the six uh, substatements like that, and then one has got to do arise and fuse. And if you have any basic esoteric understanding you're talking about immediately you know that they're talking about the five sense consciousnesses in Buddhism and the development of the wisdoms of the Dhyani Buddhas to understand the esoteric numerology you really have to understand the philosophy without the philosophy you're going to be lost and it necessitates study, it necessitates actually the development of your mind like the yogis did Year in and year out, serious meditation, serious working upon their nadis, serious zapping. They didn't sit there and just sort of contemplate as a denable or try to produce empty space in their mind. No, it's development of mind, every bit of it. And without working out the crucible of experience for yourself, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get it by osmosis. Hierarchy not is not just going to pop the numbers into your brain. We expect you all to grow up spiritually, to work upon yourself, to develop the ability to study. The reading is essential. The reading of the secret doctrine, the reading of the k's writings, the, 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 the recommended spiritual books, Gives you the background and the Buddhism as well. The Buddhism, in many ways, is essential to the understanding of this technology, the major attributes of Buddhist philosophy. If you're sort of um, looking at the number eight, it's the spiral cyclic motion. Right? But what is this spiral cyclic motion? It's the Noble Eightfold Path in application. It's also the eight-spoked wheel. And that eight-spoked wheel is very important. So you get to the seven rays and suddenly you get to the number eight. and you get the eight-spoked wheel. But what is the eight-spoked wheel? It's splenic center number two. So then it interrelates with the chakras, and then you have to understand that it 's the the wheel of direction in traveling in space esoterically it 's a mouth it 's a mouth center as you speak the mantra you speak it in any of those eight directions so it 's the spiral cyclic energy that is the evocation of of energies up your spinal column. Have any of you ever thought of the fact that each one of your vertebrae is in the shape of an eight? Eight above eight above eight above eight above eight above eight? That's Jacob's Ladder? That's the Way of Ascent? See, you've got to study. You've got to study and study and study. And you've got to interrelate the little bits of information through a particular book that you've got that you've worked out. The number eight equals this, the number seven equals this, and these are all the examples in my comms that the seven relates to, co-relate. And without this work, you're not going to really get very far in the understanding of our esoteric language. All divine symbolism can be reduced to numbers. The number three... The three Medusa's heads, the three heads of Mahakara here. Three three aspects of the blade of the purba. Purposely three. Not four. Can only be three. But why is that? What do the blades symbolise? What do the heads symbolize? They're all different. If the purba, for instance, is done correctly, in this particular case, the teeth of this purba, of the the Mahakala here, is three different sizes' teeth. One very long, one shorter, one middle and one short. If the purba is done by somebody who, for instance, is not initiated, is not awakened, the teeth will all be the same size. In other words, it's done by an artist. They don't understand the symbolism. What is the three? The three faces of time, past, present and future. The three crones that embody those functions. So the three faces have to be different, because they don't mean the same thing. The three aspects of divinity, father, son, mother, they also the three aspects of time. The evocation of the three types of serpents. What are they? Kundalini, Shishumna, and Ida. Always interrelated meaning the same thing. That's the triad, the triangle. So in the number three, the entire history of father, son, mother. The three faces of time, the three main nadis, and all that they represent is veiled or hid. Also, the three portions of the human body the head, the chest area, and that which is below the chest area, below the diaphragm. Three distinct portions. The heart area, the solar plexus and sacral area, and the whole thinking portion with the seven facial orifices. (laughs) So the number seven is the seven rays and the seven facial orifices. What do they symbolize? A mouth, two nostrils, two eyes, two ears. Have you ever thought of the fact there's also an the centre? Another organ of perception, which is the number eight, that integrates all of those seven into one. But by means of spiral cyclic motion, the eight. But the spiral cyclic motion can be directed in any of those eight directions of the class of direction. Morph, upwards of the Kingdom of God, North, east, the direction of unity, east, inwards of the heart of life, southeast, expression into the material form, south, directing energies to the little ones southwest understanding of the gain of that expression west service work to the field of humanity in other words the domain of intelligence and then northwest expression of goodwill or emulatory goodwill that is the leaving of your energies the leaving of your wisdom into the next sphere of direction to the entire cosmic space, if need be, depending on which level of expression you're looking at. And as above, so below, that which is within is also without. That is the law. That is the law you follow. and numbers. So you've got to look at the various levels of interpretation and never forget that. Are you looking at it from a monadic perspective? Are you looking at it from the hierarchical perspective, which also incorporates the kingdom of souls? Or are you looking at it from the point of view of the little personality vehicle struggling in samsara? What is it within your body? The chakras, the nadis, etc. The facial orifices and the fingers of expression, the nadis That's also out there in cosmic space. On this planet is also the same externalised nadis, all governed by number. And, as I said later on, you'll find that the number and esoteric symbolism is the same. I always count, if I look at a, a bell like this, I'm going to have to count the number of Vajras they've got around it. To try to tell me what on earth it's saying. How many spokes are there to this particular doge? This is a, a five-spoke one, but there's also eight spokes. The eight spokes, you can, or well, nine spokes, because I always count the central one. Eight around, and then the nine. The eight-spoke one, of course, is the cross of direction. This four-spoke one, or the five-spoke one, is the five sense consciousnesses, but four main pranas main directions. There you have the number four. Four plus one. Double it up, you get the number ten. How many petals are there to this lotus that I'm holding? So once you get the number, then you can know what they're talking about. What the symbolism is about. If you don't get the number, you don't understand anything. And then some the of your knowledge, esoteric knowledge, has to be put into that. Everything is numerically coded, And therefore God geometrizes. Then physicists say the same thing. Mathematics is the whole basis to science. And it can't be mathematically sort of worked out, they don't even regard it as, as, as worthy of interpretation or looking at. So, on the whole, the problem with the lack of the ability to interpret your comms or interpret what the K and the others are writing is laziness because you 're not studying the way you would if you 're going to university if you 're going to university, especially undergraduate, etc, you would be absolutely be forced for fear of passing failing your exams to learn that subject well. And before you do your exams you're cramming and cramming and cramming and cramming, sometimes for weeks, until you understand, because you don't know what the questions are going to be and you have to know it all or fail. But unfortunately esoteric students are not like that. They don't cram on the whole, I've discovered, lazy and therefore they don't learn the numbers. They don't have notebooks interpreting their own comms. They're not jotting down the numbers 4, 5, 6, 7, the numbers that it appears. It's very difficult to read. Somehow not important. But, as I said, nearly every comm you get is wasted because you're not looking at them. You're superficially looking at it. You're not bothering to understand what Hierarchy is really trying to tell you. And the comms and everything is always sequenced over time, past, present and future. The three faces are there. You actually have to have some sort of concept of the way time evolves, the way time evolves in the com, The beginning of the com. And the ending of the com, and the com may only be five lines long or something like that. The difference between the beginning of the ending of those five lines may be many millennia or many decades of your personal evolution explained there. You actually have to understand the sequence of timing. For instance, the 5 4 ashram, the first line of it God and his angels now arise and taste. It's easy, of course, if you understand that the sense of taste is what? Is it the watery element? Is it the airy element? What's smell? What's <coughs> taste? What's touch? Hearing is earth. Touch is water. Taste is air. You taste subtle discernments. Yes, it's the heart and the heart is air. Therefore, five, four. the fourth ray, governs what? The Nadi system is the fourth between the seven. It's the fourth ether. So you have to understand the four the seven planes of perception. So as soon as you look at anything like that, your mind is zapping from from one aspect of your philosophy to the other to integrate it all. Taste means buddhi. And it relates therefore to the fourth subplane. When I looked at this, I had to work it out. And I'm looking for key things. God and his angels now arise and taste, let all experience come. Now, DK didn't say that that was the 5-4 Ashram, but he gave six sub-rays for the fifth ray. It's quite easy, as the 5-4 Ashram, because you know that the word taste is a fourth sub-ray quality. Because it relates to body, and therefore you can assign the entire statement to the five four, not five two, because five two is um, God and His angels now arise and see. This is the difficult one because, um, in this particular case, the sight, the element sight, which is relates to the eyes, to the mind. And that 's normally a fifth subray quality, but you can't have uh, a fifth subray for the six statements, therefore you have to say what substitutes what substitutes the mind in the fifth ray and that's the second subray and so you have to be exceedingly logical and Look at your, your comms with minute detail. God and his angels now arise. And taste, as I said, taste brings it immediately to the 5-4 subray, Not 5-2, not 5-6. And immediately it's got to do with subtle discernments, that which therefore relates to the attainment of shunyata, to the void, to high metaphysical speculation. And God and his angels now arise. We're talking about the fifth ray. It's the fifth ray, or the domain of the mind, that allows God, which is each one of you, to arise through the mastery of mind. You go through all the vicissitudes of the little mind, which is governed by the number five, and you develop the abstract mind. And as you go through the process of yoga and meditation to master yourself, you become an enlightened being. You become a god. You arise and taste. See, it's not just a matter of fixing some great big being up there in um, cosmos arising. No, it's got to do with the little minute human unit becoming a god. God and his angels, his angels are the divas. As you arise through the mastery of the mind, so the complementary diva also arises. You have to understand that you, namely being a human unit, is a composite of a whole lot of little diva lives that are evolving with you. Isn't that a wonderful thought that you are responsible for the evolution of a zillion little diva lives? You are their God. And all those little thoughts that appear in your mind and expand, now you think of the evolution of mind. The evolution, and this is what this really has got to do, the whole evolutionary process has, has got to do with the evolution of mind. If you can think of yourself, say, a hundred lives ago, maybe in Lemuria, you didn't have much thinking capacity. Tiny little thoughts that flashed into objectivity and then flashed out again. It was mainly, what, about sex? That was probably a very big one. And hunting instincts? Not a very big one. And shelter? Because it was mostly physiologically based, yes? Those little thoughts that you had then have grown from then to now. Through the Atlantean stage, you're now Aryan at least, the fifth root race, and you can see we're looking at the number 3. Third root race can be um, the number 4. Fourth root race can be, but really when we're talking about the root races, we're looking at the number 3 is really 3 times 7 is 21. The fourth root race is 4 times 7 is 28. Fifth root race, 5 times 7. Six root like six times seven, which is forty-two. So when you get the these numbers like the number seven and it's repeated multiplied by five, immediately you're going to what? Seven times five? Ah, oh, yes. It's a subdivision, a fifth subdivision of something. Does it relate to the evolution of a race, or is it a fifth subplane of the mind? or of the seven planes of perception. It has to be worked out according to your understanding of the general bulk of occult philosophy. Now, going back to each one of you, and just think of it. As you're evolving your mind over all those lives, that is, God and his angels are rising. Your thoughts are going from those tiny little flashes of meaningless, whatever it was, you know grunting sounds and, and sex in your mind or, or food or whatever it was, that, that, um, to the development of fire and then the development of emotions. And so the thoughts become more and more sophisticated, yes? The mind is developing, and as the mind develops, the angel, the devic substance, is expanding growing also. Because the divas embody mind. They are mind. So when you're talking about the fifth ray, you're talking about the evolution of the diva kingdom. You think it's the evolution of humans. (laughs) It's really the evolution of the divas. And we use the divas in order to develop something beyond the mind. Which in Buddhism is called shunyata, the void. Wisdom. So you can see that when you're looking at, say, just one line of, of one of these, this looking at this, for instance, of a um just one line, and most of you just think of, oh, yeah, there's a big God out there, and he's going to taste with some angels, whatever taste means in your mind. And instead, the entire evolutionary process of how the sense of taste comes into being by means of being one of the five sense consciousnesses of Buddhism. And so what does that develop into? Ah, yes, the wisdom of Akshobhya, the mirror-like wisdom, beautiful blue energy. If I broke that down into the numbers, which I've got here, I've, I've used this as an example because of Thunder numbers. We've got the numbers of a rise and taste. It's up to forty six, which numerologically doesn't mean anything, so you then add four and six together to make ten. And there you get evolutionary perfection. And that's what I've just been describing. Right? A rise and taste, but it's ta- it's evolutionary Perfection so the development of the qualities of the Dhyani Buddha Akshopya. The mirror like wisdom. That which reflects the highest into the lowest. The subtle discernments of space. The love principle. Yes. Okay. And then his angels arise. Uh, his angels now arise and taste. What are the numbers add up to there? 102 and 30. 102. Well, the 100 is just simply a, a great cycle of perfection plus 2 of love. But because it's talking about his angels, the more important number here is the number 30. The, we know that the angels refer to the Deva Kingdom. And therefore, you're looking specifically of what... You know, this is the subsidiary number 30. So you're looking specifically what relates to the Deva Kingdom and that's divine intelligence, divine mathematical exactitude, the third ray, perfection of mind, perfection of the third ray form. So they evolve from concrete mind via your petty little thoughts, and as you evolve and become a sophisticated philosopher, they've grown in stature, these divas of your mind, until eventually they become beings of Abstract unity, the substance of space itself. See, they evolve from mind to the concrete mind, if you want, to the abstract domain of mind, which is the domain of the mother of the world. That's the order of progression of the Deva kingdom. And then from then they jump mostly to the first subplane, which is the will aspect. They become Raji lords, kingly lords if you're looking at the way that his angels now arise, which is what this phrase is, his angels now arise in taste, therefore this term of taste must be added to deep evolution, which adds to the number two. They also develop wisdom. They also have to learn to wisely demonstrate mathematical exactitude. Therefore, they taste the subtle discernments, and this is the way that they move into the fourth plane of perception, the sub-plane of the fifth ray, five-four. They move into the fourth plane of perception. What do they taste? Well, oh, there it is. You go to the fourth plane, you look at it, and with your esoteric knowledge, you know that's the plane of the 90 system. All the chakras are. They taste those energies of the chakras. They embody them, they have to direct them with mathematical exactitude. That's what they're evolving. God and his angels. Now a full sentence, God is his angels now arise and taste, um, adds up to hundred and twenty nine. There's two levels of numbers, so the first one is twelve, and the third the, the lower version, when you add all the little the numbers together, adds to thirty nine, which is the number thirteen times three. The number 12 is, of course, the awakening of the petals of the heart. The divas eventually become the substance or the the directing agents of the 12 signs of the zodiac. The 12 petals of the heart, the externalization of that through divine activity, which is 13 times 3. With specific numbers such as just, for instance, 60, how do you know how to break it down as in 6 times 10 or 5 times 12? 60 now is quite simple. My book will give you the breaking down of the number 60 and you'll find that the most important um, way of breaking that down is 5 times 12. 6 times 10 is just simply perfection of the desire. So you do that. But 5 times 12 is much more important generally because it refers to the fifth sign of the zodiac. And the fifth sign of the zodiac is Leo. Therefore, it refers to everything to do with the sign Leo, how it would apply to whatever the statement was where the number 60 came into expression. If you read a few of Bordeaux's assessments from his other manuscripts, you find that There's a standard approach that he has which involves what he just said but then your intuition is also needed and after a while you start to realise of the possible ways of breaking down that 60, this is the one that's actually going to give you the best interpretation. So with regards to the number 60, if you look down on, on this page on my page 60 of this book here. Six times ten, five times twelve. The perfection or perfected expression of the principle of desire, six times ten. It also refers to the fifth sign of the zodiac, Leo. The corresponding trait of hierarchy and the petal of the heart centre, five times twelve. It concerns the full outpouring of the watery element, because of the six times ten. However, when you go to the fifth sign of the zodiac and we get Leo, Leo is the sign of the self-conscious individual. The Ahamkara principle rules. Now, Ahamkara is the I, the me, the mind. It's when the mind comes into dominion, but it's the mind as ruled by the solar plexus. It's the the, the desire mind, the self-willed mind. And therefore it produces separativeness and all the rest of it. The pole opposite of Leo would have to be looked at also, which then brings us to the sign Aquarius, which is the water barrel, which is a, a different sort of quality altogether. It's the expression of certain types of divine energies. So, generally, you're either looking with the number 60 depending on what the words are, either at the principle of desire and the way it produces perfection, or you're looking at the quality of the fifth sign of the zodiac and the um, evolution of self-consciousness the self-conscious separative individual and within that then you get to the rulers of leo which is the sun and all three cases and what the sun veils and that can bring in the qualities of the soul So all of this, in a sense, is um, governed by the number 60, and then you get the number 65, 66, 666, those are the most things. Um, So they all have different. 62, for instance, I explain here, is 31 times 2, so it's the reflection of the will of the Logos into manifestation, and um, so forth. So we get 63 is 7 times 9, which is the semaphonitiation, or that which produces that. So the, the numbers have specific meanings and most important ways of breaking it down is explained in my text here. And as you said earlier, some numbers don't mean anything though as well. Some numbers don't have any specific meaning, in which case you just add them together, like I used the term 1, 2, nine. That number doesn't really have any specific um, meaning, so you just add 1 and 2 together and 2, 9 and it makes the word number 12. And so the most important uh, meaning of the number is 12. But in this particular case, the important thing is not so much the 12. Um, when I was looking at the 129, I was looking at the number 39. God and his angels now arise in taste. And so it came to 129 and 39. And 39 is 13 times 3. And the 13 times 3, when you're looking to the deeper kingdom, is quite important because it's activity. And the number 13 is a sphere of activity, times three. And so each diva becomes a sphere of divine embodied activity that tastes. And the only domain where they can taste is buddhi, in this particular case, um, is the pure domain of the element air. Because that's what the quality of taste is. It's the expression of the airy element and therefore they arise to the buddhic plane, and there they taste, through divine activity, the manifest spheres of activity. In other words, they develop and become the petals of the chakra system of a logos, if they are evolving along this five-four subplane energy. So you can see that each one of these statements, the instance, in the fifth ray, and they all start off with God and his angels because it's talking about God, in other words the evolution of a human unit, and his angels, the evolution of the Diva kingdom and the way to complement each other to evolve the qualities of the various planes of perceptions. And so if you don't properly look at all of these types of combinations and look at it properly, the exact rendition of the phrase is so important the masters don't waste words, they don't waste letters. They use the old English language, dine d, for purpose. They use God for purpose. And DK refused to eliminate the word man because of the numerical significance of the man. It adds up to ten. And you can't get that number from woman. Woman. Right, it's worked out perfectly. Now, the reason why, of course, is that the esoteric pneumology was f- for the English language was first formulated some hundreds of years ago. And I'm pretty sure it was worked out by Francis Bacon when the 1611 version of the Bible was written. All sacred language have a numerical coding to it. The Judaic the Sanskrit, I'm sure the Tibetan, which is based on the Sanskrit anyway, the ancient Greek, the Roman all has the sacred languages they are numerically coded. And hierarchy at this particular time when the English language came into to the fore, they decided at that particular time was Master R's job plus one or two other that he had at that time, under him, to work out the numerical system to the English language. And that was then encoded in the old Bible. If you've ever read the 1611 version of the Bible, then you'll find the language of that time when English came to the fore. And you have to understand, before that time, things were written in Latin. Latin was the vernacular for the whole European literati. and it was only at about that time that they started writing things uh, due to the Reformation in the language of the common people. You know, the Bible in those days, before, before the Reformation, was never ever intended to be known by the common people. It was the privilege of the priests. As a matter of fact, it was illegal for the common people to read the Bible. It was just not allowed. It was that's one of the reformations that Luther did. That's why he created the heresy. He gave the power of God's word to the common people. He translated the Bible into German. That was phenomenally a great crime in those days. How could the priests get all of that revenue from from the devoted public if they could read the Bible themselves and didn't need to come to him for that information. If you've read any book from that particular period of time, you'll understand the English is different then than now. Uh, They use a lot more S's and they use a lot more E's and then the S's look like F's. You read that and you'll find that the language is different and therefore there was another reformation of the coding later on somewhere sort of early Victorian era when the old English was discarded but they still had the coding to do with such words as man for referring to humanity dine and dee and all of those lovely poetic words was very much the vogue, and that's the form of the coding that has remained. A hierarchy purposely uses whatever they need in order to make sure that the numbers are right, and therefore they use, and even in your comms you'll find this old English there, because that's the way that the the numbers come out correctly. But don't think you're going to understand your comms if you look at it superficially, like you would God and his angels now rise and taste, and not realizing that there's an entire evolution of both kingdoms of nature there, and whatever that word taste is, is the whole crux or the whole key to the understanding of that of that particular phrase, or oh, God and his angels now rise and sense the odour rising from the burning ground of man, the 5-3 statement. The odour rising, well, there you have it, the atomic plane. That's one plane above taste. It's the highest. And therefore it's 5-3. It can't be 5-6. It's odour. It, it's the highest of the senses. Right? It has to be 5-3. Where was I up to? I have a God. Uh, I went to the full, the full statement, and then let all experience come. Now, all of you have an idea what all experience means. So, but if you don't take into account the whole evolutionary process that I've just been describing with God and His angels, in other words, a human unit becoming a God. Now, what does it take for a human unit to become a God? Think about the whole process of evolution until eventually you're sitting as a lord of Shambhala, tasting whatever taste means to such an entity. Therefore, in that whole evolutionary process, the next statement falls into place. Let all experience come. Yes? All experience. In other words, everything that a human unit goes through, such as what you go through, in order to become enlightened. And all of the miseries of, of mental-emotional development and the mastering of all those samskaras must come as a consequence of that evolutionary process. And therefore, when you do the numbers, you have to do the numbers of all experience and let all experience come. Because you do it according to the phrases. The phrases actually have to be meaningful phrases. You're not doing the numbers of all separated from anything else, it's useless. But all experiences, that tells you the type of experiences, it's got a subject and a predicate, it tells you the type of experiences that you're looking at. All! Not one experience or two experiences, it's all experiences. And therefore, when you look at the numbers, you must look at it accordingly. the number all always is a beautiful number anyway because the numbers add to seven, which means all rays, <laughs> all planes everything that's can be interpreted in terms of the number seven so all experience so all experience. Um, The numbers add to 66 and 21. Well, look at that, wonderful! The number 66 is a shorthand notation, esoterically, with number 666. And the number 21 is 7 times 3. What is 7 times 3? But the three planes of perception of human livingness the physical plane, the emotional plane, the mental plane. So it's not, they didn't put even the word S on, because they added the word S they would have changed the numbers. It would have been 22, something completely different. 21 is perfect. The number 666, the number of the great beast of the revelation of St. John, refers to the total evolution of a human unit to become God. Now in my book here, I have notes, if you look up the number 666, which is the same as the number 66 really Um, and you find it's quite a lot of stuff and read that and you'll get all the background and you'll find that this number 66 or 666 for all experience is perfect Couldn't, couldn't pick a better number so there's only two phrases that are meaningful here that all experience come or all experience all experience come doesn't really make sense it needs a subject and a you know, it has to be a proper phrase. And if you don't know what a phrase is, look it up in a dictionary and learn some English. Um, so, let all experience come adds up to 94, which is meaningless. And when you add the two numbers together, you get 13, which is a sphere of activity, and the number 31. And so what does that mean? 31 is the development of the will. So on the path to the development of the will, the will of God, I'm talking about God and his angels, the sum total of human experience and the enlightenment process is symbolised. Whatever it takes to develop the will of God necessitates all experience to come and for you to master it, or for one to master it. Angels and men alike. Let all the ways appear. And so we've got only two phrases here. Again, all the ways. You can also look at the, the phrase the ways if you want. That's also a definite statement, the ways. And the numbers will tell you the type of ways that you're looking at. The ways added 29 and 11, so it's really just number 11. And what's the number 11? It's and it's being projected every which direction. Right? So, all the ways of projecting antikranas to the Kingdom of God, to the lower centres, and all those eight directions, whichever way you want to look at. And that just simply is the ways, all the paths of expression. And all the ways adds up to 36 and 18. Now, 18 is very specific. It relates to the second initiation. Before you become a God, you better master your second. And 36 is the third sign of the zodiac. Gemini also relates to the fourth initiation. But when you get the second initiation, then there's always implied the fourth. And 36 is the fourth initiation because it's 4 times 9. 3 times 12 is 36, which brings in the sign Gemini. And what is Gemini? Well, Gemini interrelates all the pairs of opposites in the zodiac, all of your pairs of opposites. It is the temple builder. It governs your bloodstream. It governs your nadi system. And the awakening of the chakras, it's where you go to find the holy of the holies. It's the symbol of the cosmic Christ. So all the ways to the cosmic Christ, through ritual, which necessitates going to temples such as this and the development of a ritual magic. Awakening all of the Nadi system, which the Gemini symbolizes, and of course passing your second initiation and finally the fourth. That's all the ways. And when you finally pass your fourth, and basically as far as evolution goes, you're God. You're no longer human. And then finally we get the full phrase, let all the ways they add the word appear. Now when you get something like appear, you better go to the dictionary and find out what that means. Appear means a phenomena, a, a phenomenal appearance, something that exists, that comes to you, that you can see with your eyes. And Jenny means an enlightened perception. From the esoteric point of view, it means the opening of the eyes, so you can see. Yes. And when you look at the numbers, then we get the number 76. Again, has to be added together to make 13. But the most important number here is 22. What is 22? Well, there we have it: the zodiac and the planetary energies. So. Everything that leads you onto the cosmic path or to the, to the, the heart within the body of um, the one about whom naught can be said, which are the zodiacal potencies, and the 22 planetary energies within our solar systems, all the ways there too must appear. And how do they appear? Well, they only appear once you become enlightened, once you open up your eye the Arjuna Center so that you can see. And how do you open up the Arjuna Center? By, first of all, passing your second initiation. If you're going to do these numbers and numerology, which is what you must do, you actually have to have your dictionary beside you for a start to make sure that you know exactly what those words mean. And don't think you know until you've checked it up. Because hierarchy has got very explicit meanings sometimes for the words. They've been chosen for a reason. Not just numerologically, but because they tell you something. And this particular appearance, as I said, necessitates the awakening of the eye. And what eye is it? It's the ajna. Nothing less. So and then of course the head lotus. And it's only when the full head lotus is awakened does a god appear. Yes? Not before. If you're interpreting your comms properly, you would not give it a cursely glance anymore. You would actually study it. You would actually do the numbers to the lines. You would actually look up the dictionary meaning of those words and then you'd have to apply the sum total of your esoteric knowledge as to what they mean. Using the notes that I've given you until eventually you get yourself more and more of a notebook down of the meaning of numbers, your own little personal rendition. You know, now you know when you've got the word all the ways appear or something like that, it has this particular number, and sometimes, as I said, other phrases have the same numbers and they can be correlated. Remember, this is 5-4 energy, and the next phrase is discern and choose. Dissect and analyze. So there's two actually phrases um, separated by semicolon. Whenever there's a full stop, semicolon, comma, that means numerologically the end of the sentence. You don't go past that. That's all you need. So dissect and analyze is one numerological statement, discern and choose is another numerological statement but discern, choosing, dissecting analysing are four different qualities and therefore you would also have to look at those four qualities you've got a square you've got four different qualities right? Um, as well as the appearance of all ways the fifth quality the one that stands above them so there's five functions that suddenly appear here. One, which is the appearance of all ways. Another one is a discernment function. The another one is a choosing function. Another one is a dissecting function, and another one is an analytical function. Five different attributes of mind. One of which is the Abstract mind, which is always. The other four relate, therefore, to the four subplanes or the four concreted planes or subplanes of the mind. One subplane relates to the analytical, another one segregates into sex, the next subplane chooses the right way to go, and the other one produces subtle discernments. And then the highest is always the abstract. So you can, from this, then say, that it seems that he probably has put these four statements of the concrete mind in correct order, and therefore this, the, the most dense or most concrete of these is the analysis. Analysis of what? Physical plane phenomena. The way you interrelate with your ordinary material world dissecting. That means you are going to the minute of what you've experienced. Analysis is more as an overview. And then you go to choosing. Of all that minute, you decide, I want this and this to happen, or I want this and this, and I'm going to develop those things. I don't really care about those other things. that They're meaningfulness. And then You do your discernment. Once you've chosen, then you discern of those things which way to go, which way to direct them, or what was chosen. So there's four clear statements of analytical processes of the mind, four different levels. Now, most of you just would have looked at those and said, oh yeah, cute, let's go on to the next statement. As a matter of fact, the whole few lines would have only taken you maybe a, a half a minute to read and or another minute to maybe reflect on and you would have gone to the next statement in the book. Or similar with your columns. And it can't be so, can it? And then after that he says, um, all ways are one. Now here, for instance, we before we had all the ways, and next statement is always now, there's a difference between all the ways and all ways. What you're seeing here, just this little bit to do with the five, four, and I'm not going to go through through the whole thing. And you can see why it takes me something like 70 pages to, to write and 42 little statements in, in DK's books, which most people have read um, through in, in, a, in a couple of minutes or a few minutes and then gone on to the next words. And even then, I'm still doing it in a shorthand notation because I can't be bothered doing the full thing properly. Because then it would be a a 100 to 200 or 300 page chapter. Of course, I've got a lot of experience in these things and mostly I don't bother having to do numbers because I can see quite clearly what it is and, and a lot of numbers now to me I can see immediately, you know, the word all is just obviously just seven to me and the word and is ten and the word is God is seventeen. Um, if it's ing it's twenty one. I can you know, I already sort of have the many of those numbers in my head. But what I'm sort of saying is that you all do need to have a better grasp of the esoteric philosophy and start to incorporate the sum of it properly into your com-reading. And then look at the actual meaning of the... the phrases are very important. Cut it out into correct meaningful phrases and check in the dictionary with the meaning of the words. It's in English. They use it... Perfectly. Perfectly because of numerological content and perfectly because of the meaning of the word or the the coupling of the words together with other words. Some words uh, are quite important just by themselves. For instance, they may have three ones in it or three threes in it. And you know immediately that's a first-ray word or a third-ray word if it's got three threes in it. It's got, you know, for instance, the word Allah. What is that? One three three one eight. Now, the eight at the end is just spiral cyclic motion, so it just shunts energies around in different um, directions. But we get starts off with a one. We got two threes in the middle, and then a one. So it really is a a first ray statement of God manifesting <coughs> divine activity, Allah. So if they used Allah, you know, immediately what they referring to. They were referring to a combination of the first and third rays. Wonderful, isn't it? Think of your own names. You've got certain names, and most of you may have changed your names in one way or the other because it didn't sound right. It's useless without you applying it properly and without you actually studying the Esoteric philosophy understanding chakras, understanding the way the mind has evolved, understanding the basic elements of Buddhism, understanding the initiation process, having some decent understanding of astrology, and of course, always, esoteric psychology, the way the rays work. Have a functional understanding of the difference between the human and the diva kingdom. Definitely make sure you know the proper meaning of every word that is used, and you'll go quite far. And as you interpret your own comms, you'll learn as you go. Right? Unless you apply yourself, you're not going to learn anything. If you're just going to say, oh, not a comm, what does it mean? And, uh, Bodo, okay, Bodo can tell you. And because Bodo's going to do the numbers and the whole of the difficult portions of it, But why don't you do that? Why don't you apply yourself to your comms? And we may be better if you come to me after you've seriously struggled for a few hours interpreting the meaning of the comms. And as I said, there is always a time sequence in the comms. In this particular case, it starts, God and his angels now rise and taste, And you can see there's a whole evolutionary process there from God and his angels arising to be able to taste on the buddhic plane. You're talking about the mental plane and the whole evolution of the mind until eventually it is shunyato void, or abstract mind. And then you've got a detail of that process of the analysis of mind and eventually all ways are one and the quality is revelation of the way. All ways are one Incidentally, another thing to, to note, if you get a repetition of, for instance, two sixes, like R1, then you do have to take note of the appearance of two numbers that are the same number beside each other. Two sixes, two sevens, um, two fives together always means that the interpretation has to be via this, um, in this case, the six ray form of interpretation but all ways are one, the numbers add to 24 and 17 times 3 17 times 3 is the number 17 is the number of God and 3 is activity so it's the activity of God and that's what makes all the ways one and so God has arisen, produced his divine activity via all ways, whichever way you go to receive God it's the same, and they all paths lead to the same point, no matter what ray line you follow you become the embodiment of God and you then, as an enlightened being you manifest a divine activity. And then underneath that you get the number 24. The second sign of the zodiac is Taurus. Taurus is the open eye of wisdom, the Ajna center. It's the demonstration of God in a form, the embodied form, a creative expression. The field of desire, because that's what Taurus embodies also, the raging bull, if you want. But it's also the raging bull that turns the entire wheel of the zodiac, so it can be a tamed bull. It embodies the entire quality of the home, the hearth, the embodied form, everything that fills the form. And therefore you get to the point where that God has arisen, tasted and become an embodied Logos in it that manifests a field of activity whereby there are lots of little godlings evolving within that field of activity and all their ways become one within your mandalic expression. And so you see the beginning of evolution to the ending of evolution. The beginning of the evolution is God and his angels now arise. The ending of the evolution is Always of one, because you are manifesting as a god you 're manifesting divine activity you've developed a body of manifestation a divine body of manifestation whereby there are godlings arising in the angels so all the pathways that you have manifested for them so that they become gods themselves and this is quickly the story of this particular five4 ashram. And it's all based on the very, very keen discernment, analytical qualities of the mind itself. The whole evolution of the 5-4. So every ashram has got its own particular qualities like that. And your comms are the same. So what sort of course can I give you? The course is basically, you have to do the work. You actually have to get your comms, do the numbers. Every time you get your comms, you do the numbers, you look up the dictionary, you grab this particular second and third chapter of the secret doctrine of my notes here and study it well and start reading a little bit more Ishtar astrology and the rest of the philosophy. There's a course for you, yes? And just think of the amount of comms hierarchy have given to all of you and how much of it is just shelved in your books, almost wasted. You're looking at tiny little portions of it, and you're not looking at the whole picture. And you don't really care too much to look at the whole picture, because on the whole you say, I don't have the time to do this. But they had the time to give it to you, to write it, to encode it, and to give it to you. And each one of you. And they're giving it to you for a reason. And sometimes you don't need to do the numbers because you're basically saying, oh, well, it's, it's answering an emotional appeal of mine to, to hierarchy because I'm so depressed and my life is so horrible They're going to have to um, give me something to, to make me happier. Um, sometimes they give you that. And sometimes they give you advice that are easy to understand. You don't need to do the numbers, but very often you'll find in everything they give you, there's also a numerical coding behind it. And it's wonderful that they are so considerate. And unless it's got that numerical coding behind it, it's not coming from a hierarchy, it's coming from something else, which we call the Dark Brotherhood. And of course, you better make sure when you get the comms that there's not one word that's been intercepted that the DB have put into there to change the whole meaning. That's easy to do. And you can see sometimes, if you miss an S... Or if you think that there's a, a word that's that's there, but it shouldn't really be there, or you put that in, you change the numerical meaning. Also, the word and is just a linking word. You don't bother with it unless it unites two parts, um, God and his angels. The word and. Here is you don't do and his angels as a numerical sequence. It just simply is God and his angels. The and is ten or one, and it just links. Right? You can't start with that as a as a phrase. The word and, the you always have to add the numbers to. But it, it, that which particularizes makes something definite. For instance, we've got here let all. Now there's a difference between all and D-All. If I put D in front of, uh, with All, I would probably capitalise the A. And what we're talking about, therefore, is All, which refers to lots of little entities, and the All, which is really the entity that embodies the sum total of all that is. There's a difference. so that You can see that there's a... Um, and you really have to be very careful with the way you interpret the such things as the all and all. And if they suddenly have a repetition of the same phrase, but in a different way, it's got a different meaning. Numerologically it's different, like in this particular case, that all the ways, and then they've got always a one. And as I said, there is a difference, because one is always a one. In this particular case, it's talking about a deity that's manifesting and producing those paths that lead to that deity and the other one is the entities that are evolving towards deity just in those two different things is and you've got to understand as an up from blow up and from one from um, above down you've got to understand what you're looking at as I said from the beginning from the point of view of Shambhala from the point of view of your soul or hierarchy or from the point of view of your aspiring personality life and most of you are busy looking from the point of view of the aspiring personality life very few of you have in any way the way to interpret from the point of view of Shambhala or your monads I can do that to a degree, I, you know, I'm not yet fully enlightened, but I can do that to a degree, I have enough knowledge. And from the point of view of hierarchy, it's easy to do. But mostly, we, you're looking at your personality life. And this is the other thing of your comms, and this is why I often ask you, I always ask you to write down your impressions. Mm-hmm. Your impressions will generally tell you which direction you want to interpret that com, or that line. You get an impression, you write it down, the impression, because that gives you the clues. Hierarchy it, basically saying this is the way to look at it. It could be a sort of um, pretty well a mundane sort of um, common. By mundane, I mean referring to, say, world affairs. You know, let let USA be gone, for instance. That That could be a com. Now, that's fine. You're looking at world affairs. It doesn't have to be interpreted from a cosmic point of view. It just simply is what it states but there's numbers involved with it that you should also look at in order to um, get a better view of what seems the obvious. But often when you're looking at that, again, you're looking at a time sequence. Mm-hmm. And it's important to always try to get a view of the time sequence of your comp. It could be over decades, it could be even over millennia, or it could be over a few years, it generally has this time sequence in it that you really have to discover in order to properly interpret. Do all of you feel that you're a little bit, a little bit more confident that this form of interpretation? I really do want all of you to begin to do some serious uh, w- study, at least on your own comms. You know, sometimes you don't have the time to to do the com fully, but at least go to the most important enigmatical aspect of the con do the numbers try to understand what it is and there's some um, secret doctrine numerical two chapters should be pretty well your bible you should pretty well have all of that information memorized it's like me trying to learn French you know, I'm not getting very far because I'm not doing all the exercises I should be to memorise, memorise, memorise. And that's what you've got to do with these things until you have um, the proper background philosophy to understand the evolution of the chains, rounds and schemes. Sometimes I will use in my writings a phrase that I know is numerically coded. For instance, my Dawn of Agni. Now that's numerically coded. And I have hundreds of pages of the second half of the Dawn of Agni uh, explaining the numbers, likewise with DK stuff. It's it's when it's put in in that fine print when he's quoting the old commentary that the comment that the numbers are there, and rarely will it go into the general words of the text. When it's trick, my poetry will often have that uh, coding it, because they come out in the form of a com. The other thing is, however, that the esoteric principles are all there. You'll find now, generally, when I'm, I'm making a list of something, I make sure that I make that list of, for instance, a list of five, it'll, nearly, it'll always be in accordance to the um, uh, way of activity of the five Diani Buddhas, or the seven rays, or something like that. And you'll find that i always put that into correct sequence. And later on when you write, you'll also do the same. It has to be in, in always in correct sequence. And um, likewise, when you're writing sort of, um, say, a listing of things, the listing of things may have to be in the correct sequence. Okay? And also then such things as the, the treatise on mind, which is what we're now doing. It's worked out according to the quality of the five Dhyani Buddhas. So I'm asking all of you to put effort into learning numbers, to apply yourself specifically to your own comms, do your best. And if you've got problems, you can always show me your, your, your efforts. I'm here to help you. Because you sometime later have to teach students this art. It's an essential part of our work. It's our language. It's the language of hierarchy. Numbers. The words are virtually irrelevant <laughs> in many ways. It's the numbers that are the proper meaning to the words. Okay, so that's it. As you become enlightened, you learn numbers. You learn the esoteric numerology and you become more also students of the astrology those two are pretty well essential so such things as cosmic fire, esoteric astrology esoteric numerology the sacred doctrine these are all pretty well essential texts for all of you to study via of course my writings on the whole and you know, backed up by all of DK. Okay, that's what makes you wish to take students. It develops your abstract mind. And this is what I'm here for, is to teach you how to use your abstract mind, not just concrete. And the other thing I'll just point out while we're at it, as you do this work, you're going to get assisted by some of your teachers on inner arms as well, your own know, higher self. You'll get impressions. The images will come as you try to do this work. And the images that come into your mind is some inner plane teacher trying to educate you while you're working to be educated while you're educating yourself. Don't cut out those images. Remember, it's a process where you are becoming divine. We're trying to awaken you to become enlightened beings. We're trying to awaken you to become teachers of others. And this is the methodology of developing the abstract mind, of working towards the third initiation. The second initiation level is fine, where you're up to. Um, From now on, you actually have to do some real work at stimulating those brain cells and Thinking more abstractly, you're at Spiritual University and our numerological system, which I've described, is the basis to your higher learning. God geometrizes, become the divine mathematician. And remember, I've described the third ray as divine mathematical exactitude. The mathematical exactitude is the exactitude of numbers. The way numbers are applied. And the third ray is the abstract mind. It's the way of higher thinking. It's the development of the clear light of mind. Away from the concretion of mind. And therefore, be inspired. Work with us. Develop your higher perceptions. Become enlightened. And it will not happen simply by osmosis. It will not happen simply by you dreaming away your lives, doing service work, yes, but not really applying your minds. The mind education is applied this way.